Hello and welcome to Gravitas Wins Conversations. We live in a polarized world which is getting more and more polarized every day. I often wonder are we becoming polarized because we are not talking to others or is it because we are polarized we are not not talking to others? In either of the cases talking to people so as to understand their point of view is extremely important. to explore this further i'm talking to ranjita a trainer in non violence communication she coaches people in applying the principles of non violent communications i hope to learn from her today on this topic more hello ranjita welcome to the conversations yeah hi joseph thanks so much for having me here welcome uh, let's start with this what is non violent communication what are its origins how did it start so um what is nonviolent communication of course there's a lot to explore in that and maybe i'll give you like a quick one minute intro uh nonviolent communication is essentially a framework that supports us in returning to our capacity for compassion and empathy especially mm. when things get tough the thing is often a lot of us find it easy to be compassionate to respond with empathy when it comes to when situations aren't so when the situation isn't so stressful but mm. sometimes things get stressful and by stressful i mean it could be anything like a recurring conflict with a loved one or maybe having to give feedback to a peer or a superior at work these are situations where there's more stress than we can handle we get overwhelmed and all of a sudden we're like shit uh what do i do now uh, you know what is the empathetic response in this situation so nvc in a way gives us a framework um to return to our capacity for empathy because i believe every single one of us has this capacity and it's just that in some moments we don't have access to this capacity uh that's what nvc that's how i describe nvc okay you said it's a framework what does it mean is it uh, does it have certain kind of a principles what is a framework in this particular sense yeah so um for anyone who's done a very basic introduction to nvc will be aware of something we call the four step framework which is essentially four places in which i can choose to put my attention and this four step framework i won't go into it too much but i'll explain it a little bit uh we start with observations that is instead of evaluating analyzing and judging can i bring my attention mm. to the facts what happened and the next step is the feelings and when i say feeling instead of uh putting my attention on what i think you did can i put my attention on how i feel in relation to what i experienced to what actually happened and then we connect it to our needs so when i experience any feeling it's i in the nvc framework we talk about feelings being feedback about our needs so the question i like to ask myself is when i feel angry what need is this feeling telling me about when i feel mm. happy what need is this feeling telling me about and then once i've identified my need uh, what is it that i'm really wanting in this situation what is a need a quality that i'm looking for in this situation once i've identified that i can actually say okay now i know what i'm looking for what i'm wishing would happen what i'm hoping for and what action can i take to move towards that and this fourth step is something we call request that is mm-hmm. can we move towards action can i is there an action i can take is there an action i can ask somebody to take so that my need can be met so this is the four step framework 
And of course, it's not just this. There's a whole uh, bunch of underlying principles that form the, the practice of NVC itself, what NVC can look like in our lives. Okay, thanks for that. Uh, of course, there's a quite a lot that we can branch out from that four principles that you talked about, the pillars that you talked about. Uh, why is it called nonviolent? Yeah. Um, so Marshall Rosenberg, who was the psychologist who uh, created this framework, uh, was influenced by the work of Mahatma Gandhi. And this was one of the reasons, this is one of the reasons why it's called nonviolent communication, because he was very influenced by Gandhi's Ahimsa, the principle of mm. Ahimsa. And the other thing is also that Marshall talked about, um, you know, we often think about violence as originating in physical actions. So for many mm -hmm. of us, violence can mean I somebody is hitting someone else. Somebody is, you know, killing someone else. But... Mm. The idea is also to bring the attention back to where is violence born? Where, you know, it's highly unlikely I'm going to think of hitting you because there's some somewhere it's born within me. It begins mm. in how I think. It begins in how I see you. It begins in how we communicate. So nonviolence is also, I think, I think it's about bringing the attention back to the ways in which our communication can be violent because uh, we're sort of, uh, you know, these whole ideas of sticks and stones can break my bones, but names can never hurt me. But the truth is the way we communicate with each other can hurt, you know, mm. it can create disconnection. It can impact other people in ways that are not very, um, yeah, not very nice, you know. So mm. nonviolent communication is also a way to bring the attention back to how can our communication, instead of creating more division, how can it create more connection between us? Okay. I am reminded of an ancient Tamil literature. There is a there is something called Kural, Tirukural. And in that, uh, it's, I think, 2,000 years old. And one of the Kural, it says, uh, the scar, because of a fire, it can be healed. But scar, because of words, can never be healed. So from what you are saying, nonviolent communication, it's kind of what I visualize as you are speaking, is that there is thinking in front of, or rather it is originating. The thinking leads to communication and that communication might lead to the violence in physical space. So most often we focus on the physical aspect of it and our justice system, law and order, everything is around that physical action. But where is it coming from? Maybe it is coming from the communication. Where is it coming from? It may be coming from the thinking perspective. So that is where you are communicating with those four principles that you talked about. Yeah. And one of the things that you talked about, the first one is observing and feeling, and which are all mine. And then, then comes yeah. the action, yeah. is, is what you are saying. Yeah. Okay. And uh, it's interesting you say that because it's also nonviolent communication. It's not just about communication because for us, mm. Communication can mean the actual words I'm putting out when I'm in a conversation with you. But NDC is also about finding a very different way of relating to ourselves and the world, finding ways of relating to ourselves and the world with more compassion, you know. Mm. So in that sense, it's also um, it's not just a set of skills, though it does work at the skill level. But I find that every time I'm choosing to practice any of these skills, Anytime I'm choosing to, you know, say, okay, here, let me try this out. How can I say this with more empathy? 
I'm also uh, slowly transforming my consciousness, my perspective mm. of things. So it's also mm. about how we see ourselves and other people, not just about the words we say. Mm. When we are talking about leadership, especially now, we often use compassion, sympathy, and empathy. And many a times we don't know the difference. At least I don't know the difference. So how would you explain these three terms? Compassion, sympathy, and empathy. So um, in sympathy, and, and I'll, I'll try and explain how I see them differently. So sympathy mm. for me has this element of, oh, poor you where mm. it's, it's a little bit of pity mixed in. There's a bit of sadness and there's a bit of pity and it's almost like, oh, so sad. When I say something like that, I might be expressing, you know, my sympathy with you, but the effect for me when somebody expresses their sympathy is almost like somebody standing far away and talking to me, you know, mm. and they're trying mm. to say mm. it's so sad. Empathy is sort of, uh, just to take this analogy of standing far away, empathy is something like I'm standing beside you. I'm here solidly beside you. So empathy mm -hmm. is really about being able to connect with what somebody else is experiencing. Now, it doesn't mean I have to have experienced this in my life. It doesn't mean I have mm -hmm. to experience the exact same situation in my life. It means that in this moment, can I just, um, you know, try and imagine what it might be like to be you, Joseph? Yeah, mm. that's what empathy is about. And compassion, the way I understand it, is about moving into action. It's a desire to mm. make things better for the other person. Um, mm. The thing is, for me, compassion is more like a, at least for me, compassion is more like an overall state or the way I look at people around me. And empathy is about in this moment, it's about making that connection in this moment. Uh, okay. So that okay. for me would be the difference. Okay. Before we go any further, how did you come into NVC? Um, so I, I used to work in the communications industry. I was a journalist. So, for, so I kind of assumed that I knew how to communicate. But the thing is, I mm -hmm. knew how to communicate in a certain way. Um, mm. when it, I knew how to communicate when it came to breaking stories, when it came to writing up interviews, things like that. I knew how to communicate that. Uh, but it was through discovering NVC that I actually realized that there were deeper layers of communication that I was totally unfamiliar with. Uh, what do I do with my feelings? How do I talk about mm. them? How do I ask for what I want? Uh, how do I bring up topics that can be possibly be a little, you know, thorny or challenging? Um, how can I do all of these? So that's um, so. I discovered NBC around uh, sometime in 2012, 2011 or 2012, when there was a two-day workshop being organized um, in Bangalore. And um, so I went to this NBC workshop. And there was something about it that resonated with me. I wasn't able to put my finger on what I liked about it, but I liked it. And then mm. I went to another event that was, um, um, this was a five-day residential event. Uh, something called the um, NDC conventions that were held every year in the country until COVID happened. Uh, I think it happened for about nine, 10 years in a row. And uh, when I went to this event, I think what I was struck by was how different it was compared to the world I was living in. Because here mm -hmm. we had a group of 100 plus practitioners, uh, all of us trying to learn and apply NBC. And it's almost like I could feel the absence of judgment. Uh, mm. or it's, it's, there was space for people to be who they wanted to be, 
there was acceptance there was a lot of affection there was also there wasn't a shrinking away from talking about difficult things but it was done with a lot of care um so something about that stayed with me and uh, i think a couple of years down the line i was experiencing a very difficult situation at work and i was i think until then i hadn't realized how much of an impact nvc had made in my life because i was actually able to talk about what wasn't working for me i was able to mm. talk about without villainizing the other person i was able to say this is not working for me i was able to dig my heels in trust that my needs matter and say hey you know what you need to do something about it which is something i you know sort of i can't imagine a me maybe 10 years before that being able to do um so that's that was i think for me a little bit of a turning point and i decided wow if it's made so much of an impact to my life i want to be able to share it with others so i started uh, you know i started gradually sharing nvc um very informally to start with and then i registered to be a certification candidate and then um this year i took the leap into doing nvc work full time so yeah that's that's pretty much been my journey with nvc thanks for sharing your story and all the best for your coaching as well and as you said i'm imagining i mean some of the points that you talked about uh stressful events and the care that others would share and i am imagining as a father as the cto of an organization and also as a conscious citizen in a society in all the other three dimension all these three dimensions this is our day to day experience there are stressful events where i want to show care but i don't know how to do it i don't even know like like as you said the other party i have either hurt their feelings or offended their feelings uh, and and they are not even opening what they are expecting out of me so what i want to do ranjita if uh, you would give me your permission now as a son i have a 13 year son old son as a son and i want to take this particular relation as a father how can i apply nvc with him and how can i tell him hey this is nvc anytime you feel there's a stress with me this is how you can approach it and this is what you can do with me how can i do that yeah um so there's two ways of doing this one is of course the traditional workshop i i won't say traditional one is the more available workshop method where you go to a workshop where you learn the skills and you start applying it in your family the other is to approach it through uh, by creating sets of agreements around what you'll do when something uncomfortable happens so mm-hmm. um what this could look like is um to maybe building a vocabulary of feelings and needs with your children that you that you as a family participate in together and maybe having a set of agreements and when i say agreements these are very different from rules this is about checking in with every member of the family how would it be with for you to do that yeah because we mm-hmm. want people to do this because they're willing not because they think my dad wants me to do it because then they're less likely to be connected to what they're doing so one way to do this could be to once you introduce the uh, the feelings and the needs and there are a whole bunch of resources out there uh, perhaps i could share some links with you after our conversation that are um, yes. that work really well with children that have illustrations on them uh, so that mm. children can understand and connect with these ideas that are being expressed 
and to say, uh, and what would your agreements look like? It could be sitting down to have a conversation with your family and saying, when something uncomfortable happens, what are the ways in which we do want to respond? Hmm. And what hmm. are the ways in which we don't want to respond? And to mm -hmm. generate this among yourselves as a family, to say, you know, this is what we'd like to do. This is what we'd not like to do. What is the kind of support you like when you feel stressed out? And to have this as a list of shared agreements, <clears throat> excuse me, not as a set of rules, which will be held up to you to say, oh, look, you promised you'd do this and you won't, because this isn't about guilt tripping. It's really about connecting from the heart. But to say, mm. here, this is sort of a map that we can follow, because I notice when I'm stressed, I feel lost. I, I kind of don't have an idea of what I can do to address the situation. Mm -hmm. And it helps to have this set of agreements as a ready reference. And then I can look at it and go, oh, that's something I could do. So to give you an example, um, I, I worked with a school in Bangalore called ILM Montessori, where one of the parents is an NVC practitioner and who also, um, you know, who also is a trustee of the school. And he spent some time talking to the students of one of the grades. Uh, what do we do? How do we want to behave with each other in this class? And the students themselves mm -hmm. came up with things like, we don't want to hit each other. We don't want to mm. raise our voices. And this came from the children, mm. right? Mm. The only direction mm. being offered by the parent here is to ask the questions and invite reflections. And what do we want to do when we're... Uh, so something similar could be, what do we want to do when we're stressed? Maybe it means... It's perfectly okay for any of us to say, hey, I need a 10-minute break because I'm feeling stressed now. I'd like mm, to take a mm. walk, self-connect, and come back. Mm. Yeah? Or to say, I'm, or maybe it's okay for any of us to ask for support when we're feeling overwhelmed. Yeah? You know what? I'm feeling overwhelmed. Would you listen to mm. me for the next 5 or 10 minutes? So this could be a way of really creating a set of agreements that would be that'll be supportive to every single person in the family. And the beauty of doing this is that it offers everyone the context for these actions when they happen later. Because mm, mm. when we're in a stressful situation and one of us asks for a timeout, it's mm. very easy for the others to misinterpret it because already emotions are high. You know, we're mm. charged up. The, the mind is making a lot of meaning out of what we're seeing. But if we have this context that says, hey, we've agreed that if we're overwhelmed, it's okay to take a five-minute break. They know I'm doing it for my self-connection, right? So that's crystal clear. So perhaps mm. a set of agreements like this is a great way to get started. Wonderful. How, how's that so, for you? How's the idea? Uh, yeah, like so. What I let let me summarize it to see whether I'm I'm getting it properly. So what I'm hearing is, even before any of these charged emotions and charged stressful situations would arise. You sit down and say, hey, if something were to happen like this, we are going to behave in this particular fashion. I'm going to ask for a timeout. You can ask for a timeout. And I would give you that space. If you say, I want to take a walk, I would let you do that. When we have agreed like that, then when the situation happens and if the other party says, hey, you know what? Timeout. I want this. We already talked about it. I could still be a bad par parent and not provide it. But if I'm really, really careful and if I am really caring for the relation and a family, I would, because we have agreed upon it, I would give that particular space is what you are saying. Yeah. And it's not just, 
I don't want to give the time out just because we've agreed on it. I give mm-hmm. the time out because I recognize that getting the time out is what's most supportive for you in this moment. Mm. And mm. in any charged conversation, it's important as much as I want to put myself, my needs forward. It's also about recognizing, acknowledging and considering your needs. Because if I continue to say, actually, I don't care how you feel right now, I'm going to keep talking. It's going to, you know, lead to disconnection rather than having us come closer together, rather than mm-hmm. us connecting. So it's mm-hmm. really about care in that sense to say, okay, is that what you need in this moment? And recognizing that perhaps the self-connection, this 10-minute walk that you're asking for will perhaps help you to be more present when we continue to have the conversation, mm. right? Mm. So it's in my interest too to offer you this time out. And it's not just because I've agreed on a particular day to do this. Yeah. Okay. Let's switch to the professional world of this. Now, in the family world, I have that care to nurture my family. I am deeply involved in it and I want that to happen. And it is going to be a long-term thing, maybe 50, 60 years. So I want that to happen. But in a professional world, I might say, I'm a CTO, I don't care how you feel. I want my job to be done because the customers are on me, the CEO is on me, the board is on me. So I don't care how you feel. How can we bring that in? Have you worked with corporates in bringing this in? And how does that work in the corporate world? Um, I think one of the things that has been believed in the corporate world, and though that's changing right now, is this idea that you leave your emotions out of the workplace. And mm. I'm, uh, I'm very glad to see that, I think in the last 10 years or so, especially in the last few years particularly, there's more and more conversations about how um, how we need to bring our whole selves into the workplace. Mm. And uh, this is because, I mean, I can say, I don't care how I feel, I'm going to plow through with my work, or I don't care how mm. you feel, you better do what I'm asking you to do. But we know that any emotion that's suppressed, that's not mm. addressed in any way, is going to leak out somewhere or the other. So I think it's... Um, I mean, while it's great to imagine that we're machines that will keep moving without emotional connect to what we're doing, that's just not how we are as human beings. And here's mm. the thing. Once people, uh, once we're able to address people's emotions, once we're able to receive them, once we show, uh, you know, and when we do this, it establishes connection and trust. It, it mm. really establishes a lot of trust. And the other person has a sense, wow, this person cares about me. They're not just, you know, talking to me because, you know, I am X, Y, Z doing a particular job. They actually do care about me. And once Mm. we have that quality of connection, I think there's a greater amount of investment in any work that I'm doing. If I'm looking back at my own experiences of being in teams, teams where, you know, I didn't have a sense that I mattered. I didn't have a sense that I was being being seen as a human being are teams where I felt really like, do I want to continue doing this work? And teams where I've had a sense of, wow, we want to hear what you have to say. Are you okay? You know, these kinds of forms of connection, which are beyond this task that I'm assigned to do, are teams where I've always had a sense of, there's so much care here, and I want to contribute to this team. Mm. Mm. 
I don't know if that's been your experience, but it's been mine. And I hear from other people that that's how they experience it too. So in the, yeah. Very, yeah, absolutely. I, I completely agree with you on that in the sense that when I feel, first of all, the work that I'm doing means something. There is a meaning into it. It is not just I'm servicing somebody's greed and the need, but it has a meaning. I will put my heart and soul into it. Second, the people around me, they hear me, they talk to me, and they hear my opinions and ideas. And some of them are incorporated into back into the work. And I matter. Yeah. When those feelings are kindled in me, my work is joyful. And when I'm joyful, I give the best of it. Absolutely. Um, I am not, as you said, I am not approaching it as a machine. I am approaching it as a human and I bring my human intellect and human support uh, for the other team members. And then we all work as uh, together. So I, I really uh, get the point that you are talking about in that. Uh, as we move more into digital, see, at least when I'm seeing you face to face and in person, I'm seeing you, I can see a lot of cues that I'm making you uncomfortable in my talk or you are feeling something not right. I can sense that. But in a digital world, I may not be able to sense all of those aspects of it. How do we bring this non-violent communication principles to digital world? The first thing is to recognize the ways in which digital is unlikely to measure up to face-to-face -to -face interactions and mm. acknowledge it. Uh, because it's really, I think, sitting across each other, there's a certain warmth and there's a certain connection that we experience. And through the computer screen, it's much harder. It takes a lot longer to strike that rapport. And um, yeah. so that's something I think is important to acknowledge, to say not to kind of have this, I need to recreate the same quality of connection because that's not going to be possible in some mm. way. Uh, the other might be just to, I think, especially when we're talking about being at work, I think now is the time to really spend time before meetings, for example, to mm. just to be able to check in with each other outside of the jobs that we're doing or to just say how you're doing. So I think it's important for us, especially during this time when all of us are experiencing a period in our lives that's so different from anything else that we've experienced to take some time off work, even before we begin our meetings, maybe to spend a little time with an informal catch up. How's everyone mm. doing? Is there something that you'd like to share with the team? And this could happen one on one. This could happen you know, if you're a manager who's holding a meeting for their team, this could happen there as well. So just the idea is to make a space where people trust that it's okay to bring in anything that they want to share. Uh, so I like to compare it a little bit like um, making tiny, tiny deposits into a piggy bank, right? Mm. So um, every single small action like this that you do adds to the trust that somebody can, um, you know, Somebody has the sense of trust that, you know what, that's my manager and it's and I'm struggling right now and it's okay to talk to them. Um, mm. And I think that becomes important because in the absence of a lot of cues, I think we need to be a bit more proactive in letting people know that if there's something that they want to share, we are open or we are here to hear, listen to them. Um, that's something that can be done for sure. Yeah. And as you say this, I think every time there's a new technology that comes in, 
I think our own actions and the psychology and all of that will have to change as well. How we do business, all of that will have to change. And only then we will be able to adapt and succeed in that particular new technology environment. And I think this is one thing that we should learn. So we have talked about family, we have talked about corporate. As a conscious citizen, how can we apply this, especially when the other party is kind of either feels offended and feels that they are a victim or they feel that they are at the receiving side of all of this. So how can we have this kind of a conversation? Because in a larger environment, at least in a family, I can have those agreements. We can talk about those agreements. In a corporate world, we could somehow manage to have those agreements. But in a wider society, how can we apply this? And are there any examples that Marshall has applied this in a larger societal context? Yeah, so there are different NVC practitioners and trainers who are um, doing this work, taking this work to larger societal, to uh, address larger societal issues. I can name a couple that come to mind. Mm -hmm. I know of multiple mm -hmm. practitioners and trainers who worked with people in prison um, and mm. supporting them to really understand their emotions and to get more conscious about their needs and an awareness of, you know, now that you're aware of your needs, what would you like to do? Um, mm. And there, there is a, there's something called restorative circles, which was a framework that's based on that kind of um, comes from NVC, so to say, that was created by um, someone called Dominic Barter, who was living in Brazil, who still lives in Brazil and continues to practice there, which is really a way of reimagining the justice system. Like mm. what if your community were able to take up a, some, a, a justice system, a way of addressing harm in a way that restores trust and connection. And this is really about taking responsibility for our actions and being able to hear each other, because that's something that's missing in our traditional justice system, right? In the traditional justice system, there's a perpetrator and there's a victim. But here there's actually, if we as a community can sit together and listen to each other. How has what has happened impacted you? What has been your role in what you did? And what would we like as a community? What actions would we like to see going forward? This can be very powerful because if you think of it that way, uh, do punishments really work the way we think they do? Is sending someone to jail going to make our society safer? Would it rather be safer to really recognize where the problem comes from maybe have that person take some accountability for what they did and create ways in which, you know, um, we as a society can be safer as a whole. Um, so that's another example. Closer home, a few of us, um, you know, some of my colleagues and I run something called the Living Bridges Project, which is mm -hmm. about bringing nonviolent communication to the social space. Um, mm -hmm. So these can be, the applications are many including things like how do we listen to each other when we disagree with each other? Uh, something that happens so little of in twit on Twitter, especially, <laughs> or on other social media platforms. Um, how do we bring this into social change work itself, into understanding where we are and what we want to do in the space of social change? So yeah, there's a whole bunch of exciting projects across the world that bring nonviolent communication into to address societal issues. And yeah, I'm excited to see how that pans out in the next few years. 
hope so hope so it brings it a quite a bit of a change i see across nations not just in india that these kinds of disagreements are popping out and marginalizing lot of people and some of the good intended people also they are shying away from having these kinds of a conversation so if they are aware of hey there is a framework there is something that we can act upon and probably at least they will take uh, small steps towards bridging that particular thing and and i think that's a right uh, phrase that you have for your project living bridges so that's that's a good uh, one uh, ranchita uh, okay so this particular thing as a leader i can bring in some of these changes say for example i'm one of the employees and i got exposed to this non violent communication how can i bring this change upwards um i'd say the best way to bring change upwards is to integrate it because mm-hmm. when you start uh you know communicating and relating to people differently they're going to notice um, mm. and it, it could be as simple as you know how can i move from reaction to response the next time a very stressful situation happens how can i mm. model the giving of feedback in a way that holds a lot of empathy and compassion for the other person because very often we are not uh, we don't really learn how to give feedback so we give feedback by saying you're good or you're bad but what mm. does it really mean to give feedback that's both constructive and caring at the same time mm. and to do some of these like to find what sphere of influence you have within your organization and to bring this into that for example maybe you run meetings what can you bring in from the nvc framework that can help you run your meetings in a way that's more efficient and in a way that hears all voices mm. you know uh can you introduce a short check in at the beginning of the meeting because people mm. will have a sense of wow that felt different you know um can you can you improve your tracking skills because in our meetings we very often move from one topic to the other and one is left unresolved mm. so mm. that's something like um it's sort of like if if i were to make the nbc analogy it's about tracking whose needs are on the table and we move on mm. to another need once we've addressed the first one and again the uh, in the nbc framework we talk about requests once we've identified a need can we move into a next action can we identify a next action before we move into the meeting can we be sure that it's communicated with clarity and specificity and these are all you know things that can be very supportive in the corporate world um and if you were to kind of look at your sphere of influence in the organization and see what you can do with it my guess is that there's going to be a ripple effect people are going to talk about how this meeting was very different from other meetings i attended and it's going true. to get noticed sooner rather than later or you very can just true. say hey you know what i discovered something new and i'd love for all of us to learn it together <laughs> and share it with your i don't know ceo um vp whoever you know has the decision making yeah. capacity in your organization yeah when you said that i remembered one incident that happened in my office so i was a new cto and there was a member called uh, akash and he is a very senior member and i was giving feedback on a document and i was i kept on saying this is not sufficient something needs to improve this has to be better and there was a revision of once second time third time he said joseph i have done everything that i can do if you have to if you want me to improve this 
you need to be specific and obviously when i heard it for the first time i was shocked and and it was also in public so i was little uh, shocked and uh, probably little angry as well but that had a point and since then i have changed my attitude and changed my way of giving feedback i've tried to give as specific feedback as possible to improve and that has changed quite a lot and and i believe that is a demonstration of whatever that you were talking about yeah. i don't know whether akash knew uh, non violent communication or not but that was an exhibition of that principle he said hey i i have done whatever i can do now you need to be specific so he demonstrated that feeling that need that request and once it was demonstrated i was able to carry on from there so i think that was a good example that i have in my mind about non violent communication and here's the thing about specificity it it can be very powerful to offer specificity uh, not mm. just for feedback where there's room for improvement but also when we're offering feedback about something that's gone well Mm. So when i'm offering a appreciation if i can be very specific the other person is able to understand what is it about my performance that this person really liked and so that also bringing our specificity to that space and this is what we uh, in the nvc framework is called the observation like what did the other person do or say what actually happened and that gives context to the other person to understand what we're talking about true very true uh ranjita when we are when we are observing when we are empathizing with the others uh and you also talked about building bridges how can i keep my identity intact but also bridge build bridges to the other party how can i do that is it possible to do it it's certainly possible and it takes practice so mm. often for many of us the idea of empathy means i'm going to agree with anything that you say Mm. or i i'm so uh, and we talk about people who are nice and people who are kind mm -hmm. and kind people are often people who say yes to everything we ask them correct so uh, it's about understanding this you know i think this idea of empathy is flawed in some sense when we equate empathy to being endlessly available um, mm. agreeable to other people empathy means yes i i see you i hear you i acknowledge what you're experiencing and i'm also aware at the same time that i have certain feelings and needs mm. so i think this um one of the things i think this quote that stays with me very powerfully is this idea that your compassion isn't complete unless it includes yourself and mm. very often for many of us when we think of ideas like empathy and compassion it's easier to say i need to be empathetic to other people but it's equally the practice of nvc equally tells me to honor my needs to know that my needs matter and to learn to say no sometimes you know saying no doesn't make me less empathetic i can i can be empathetic i can listen to you with all my heart and i can say no because there's some mm. something that's not working for me in this situation so it's about really recognizing that because i think it takes a while given how mm. we have all been hearing about the ideas of empathy and compassion and to start exercising that no muscle you know i need to practice saying no what kind of coaching you offer if you go to an ndc workshop you learn the principles you'll start to apply them and then 
you know, but you've gone to the NBC workshop. The rest of the world hasn't. So the mm-hmm. rest of the world is still in that, what you would maybe call a non-NBC space. And then you you go back to the world and you recognize, wow, it's harder to do it in mm. back home than it is to do it in the mm. workshop where everyone's agreed to practice. Um, mm. So this requires a lot of integration and there are resources, there are several workshops now that many things have moved online there are several workshops mm. and practice groups for people who want to continue integrating this a practice group and i offer one is essentially a space where somebody who has some exposure to nvc comes to continue building on their practice in community and that makes such a huge difference to know that there are other people who are also attempting to live in this new and very radical way of engaging with ourselves and other people. Um, so the, there are practice groups around the world, many of which are online now. So for anybody who's interested, could look them up once you, um, yeah, you could look them up. And as far as coaching goes, I offer, I offer different kinds of coaching. One is deep listening, which is about sometimes we want to be heard and uh, it's, we want to be heard in a way that's, doesn't give us advice, doesn't give us solutions, but that actually helps us get more clarity about our own experience. So deep listening is one of the, um, you know, one of the kinds of sessions I offer. Um, The other is for people who've begun learning NVC and if they've sort of recognized ways, specific areas in which they want to grow their practice, that's something I offer also. That will be a sustained engagement. Um, And for anybody else who's struggling with something and who doesn't necessarily want to go to an NBC workshop, but would like to understand how these principles can be brought into either the specific situation they're working with, like, for example, somebody might say, I'm having this struggle at work, or somebody might come to me with a more generic uh, request, like, I have trouble saying no, and then to work on that particular area. So these are the different kinds of one-on-one work that I offer. Um, yeah. Thank you. Uh, I'll put all of these in the show notes. And a couple of last uh, questions, uh, Ranjita. Okay. You would have worked with uh, quite a lot of uh, leaders. What are the great qualities of some of the leaders that you admire? Um, I'm going to, for me, what really you know, when you talk about great qualities of leaders that I admire, I think it's really about leaders who can relate with you at a human to human level, no matter how high up they are in the hierarchy. The willingness to be vulnerable and to receive others' vulnerability. Mm. And um, yeah, I think these are a couple of things that really stand out for me in terms of and also a leader who can in some way convey that you matter, that you're way beyond one of many hundred thousand employees in my organization. But when it comes to one-on-one conversations or connects, can they convey to you that you matter as a human being? Thank you. And uh, what's the kindest thing anybody has done for you? Oh, how, I mean, so many, how can I think of, uh, uh, I, I, so this is not about one person, but earlier this year I had COVID and I think in I had a mini community that sort of checked in with me 
constantly was checking, are you okay? Do you need anything? Do you want us to do something? Um, there were times when I was a little worried, a little panicky. And then they said, no, we can talk. There were people who were like getting in touch with me every day to say, how's your temperature? How are your oxygen readings doing today? And I think for me, this quality of care, that mm. care of knowing that I'm isolated and yet I'm not alone. Um, that's really something that's been very, very deeply moving for me. Um, you know, some of these people were sitting very, very far away from where I was. And so often we have in our heads, you know, or at least I do sometimes, the idea of supporting looks a certain way, but it can happen mm. in so many ways. And to be supported in that way when I was quite low physically, emotionally has meant a lot to me. And I'm so grateful for that. Thank you, Aranjita. Uh, where can people find you online? Uh, they can find me on my website. That's connectcoaching.com. And maybe you could put the link up there. I'm yeah. also on Instagram. Uh, you can look me up, connectcoaching. Um, my handle is at connectcoaching. I also have a LinkedIn page. Again, Connects Coaching and Facebook page as well. So you can connect with me on any of these spaces. Uh, Instagram is the one where I'm more active right now. So if you want to get a sense of what NVC is and a little bit of the work I do, I'd say please go there because you'll see bite-sized nuggets of the work that I do around there. I will put all of those things in the show notes, uh, Ranjita. Ranjita, one of my guests said, the greatest gift somebody can give is their pure attention. For the last one year, one hour or so, you have done that. And I thank you very much for it. Not only the attention, but you also shared your learning with me. And I'm extremely grateful for that. Thank you very much. Thank you. I've really enjoyed this conversation too. So thank you for having me here. Thank you, Ranjita. I hope you enjoyed our conversation. Please share what you liked in our conversation on social media and tag us. Have a life of wins.